0: Welcome to the 115th episode of the Fourth and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, recapping the past week of NBA action, and recapping divisional playoff weekend in the NFL. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4 thand 24com We'll start in the NBA where Patrick was a perfect 4-0 with his weekend predictions. In the NFL, Patrick went one and three, and Patrick went three and one in his NCAA basketball predictions, making him eight and four overall in this weekend's predictions, and bringing him to a three hundred and thirty-four and two hundred and forty overall record, a fifty-eight point two percent winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts?
1: Well, uh, fun fact about the NFL: I was fifteen and three in my NFL postseason predictions, including last year too. Uh, before this weekend. And two of the three losses were picking against Tom Brady and the Bucks last year. So I made a resolution, my New Year's resolution of uh, playoff picking was don't pick against the Bucks at home, and I really wanted to, and I didn't, and I lost. So I guess this is why they always say New Year's resolutions don't matter, and they don't get followed because, well, most of the time they don't actually do anything. And this one definitely didn't do anything because here I am with another loss, no, I don't think I've picked a single Buccaneers in playoff game right, other than the Eagles one, actually. Uh, no, I haven't. So,
0: Yeah, but you were happy you got this one wrong.
1: Yeah, that, that was definitely part of it. I mean, I also have picked against the Rams, I think, every single time they've played them, and two of them were intentionally trying to jinx the game. Um, actually, no, I didn't pick the first one. So, I'm 0-2, but 0-2 on purpose, so I'll take it. Um, but, overall, NFL wasn't too great, um, but at the same time... Every single game was won on the last play of the game. So, I could very easily have been 4 0, just as easily as it could have been 0 4, and as easily as it could have been 1 3, or 2 2, or 3 1. Really doesn't. I mean, you tell me any of those teams couldn't have won those games. They all could have. Uh, but moving on from that, I think this might be my first 4 0 week in the NBA of all time, I want to say. Um, I'd be very surprised if it wasn't. Uh, it might not be, but. I would assume it is. Um, And besides that, uh, three and one in college basketball, although that is my standard, uh, I I do almost have a 75% winning percentage, which is three and one. Uh, It's sitting at about 70, I believe. So um, it's still, it's, that's, that's my standard. I think when I don't go three and one, I consider it a disappointment in college basketball. And that's those are pretty high standards because college basketball is a hard sport to pick. Um, But I guess I pay too much attention. So, uh, i got to keep up that good record.
0: Okay, well, that uh, wraps up this weekend's predictions for Patrick. Uh, his predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, as always, on Thursday. Let's move to our weekly review of NBA action. And, as always, we start with Patrick's top four most impressive teams of the week.
1: I will start with the Atlanta Hawks. Not the only team to go undefeated this week, but the only one that will end up in the top two of the most impressive teams. Um, the reason why I'm starting with the Hawks here is because not only did they play a decently hard schedule this week, but uh, they've been down in the dumps for a while. They haven't played so well. They've gone 4-0 this week, and yet still, you're talking about a 5-seed from last year's playoffs who's only 21-25 and on the year, which is pretty bad, honestly. I mean, we think the Knicks are an underachieving team, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, I mean, the Hawks have an even worse record, and it's hard to believe, but it's true. Um, A lot of that from injuries and COVID earlier in the year. But uh, it it is still true that this team should be better than that. I don't really care who's injured. Um, You could say the same thing about the Lakers. And the Lakers are still at least a little bit closer to 500 than the Hawks are. um, And have shown some good stretches there. And LeBron has been playing at a ridiculous level. Whereas Trey Young's been playing pretty well. But I think he's actually been a little bit worse than last season. Still really, really good though. All-star level for sure. Uh, But the Hawks this week... Beat Milwaukee, beat Minnesota, beat Miami, and beat Charlotte. Obviously, no losses. So overall, just a really good week. Um, and as we'll see, some of the teams that don't even seem like they're like they might be uh, too hard as opponents are actually a lot better than you might think they are. Uh, so, and they're a lot hotter than you think they might they might be. It's not even just that overall they're better teams than you think. They're actually playing really well right now. Uh, for most of the teams that they beat, uh, the Bucks are actually arguably playing the worst out of any of the teams that they played. Um, And those are obviously the, you know, defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, So a really hard schedule this week that they ran through very well. Uh, But moving on from that, let's talk about one of the teams that lost to them. The Charlotte Hornets, only loss of the week to Atlanta. Wins over New York, Boston, and Oklahoma City. Again, the schedule for them, not the hardest. But the Hornets have also been a team who've been kind of up and down. Um, I will say, though... They have been much more up than down the season, especially recently. Um, and I think overall, they started the season kind of rough, but the position they're in in the East right now is is actually surprising to see. I believe they're in the 6th or the 7th spot. I thought they were in the mix with teams like the Knicks and the Hawks, like a few games ahead of them, but I didn't realize they were actually really, really far ahead of them, up there with really teams like the Cavs, the surprise teams, the Sixers who have played better recently, but... Regardless, the Hornets played really, really well this week, um, and that loss to Atlanta was pretty close. So overall, th- that's just a good. I mean, I don't know what you could say about it. That's just a good week from a good team. Uh, but moving on from that, the Phoenix Suns, yes, they went undefeated, but it was three and zero. And let let let's let's think about this. The Suns are thirty six and nine on the year, so three and zero is not necessarily. I mean, I, I won't say it's their standard because no team can just expect to go undefeated all the time. However, that is them playing up to their level. Um, they only also their wins. San Antonio and Indiana aren't really great, but their win over Dallas was a big win. And uh, Dallas has played really well recently too. I think their only loss this week was actually to Phoenix, uh, kind of in the same way that the Hornets were. But they won't be making this list. But honorable mention for the list, probably the fifth team there. Uh, but overall, Suns re- playing really well right now. They were also down by a lot against the Mavericks, uh, and they just kept fighting back. And they were on the road too, and all this without DeAndre Ayton, too. Uh, so overall, can't say mother th- n- n- a lot about, you really can't say much about the Suns. I mean, they're just playing really, really good basketball. They have been all season. Uh, and they're picking up right where they left off. Uh, the only thing that they might have to deal with later in the season is now they have a giant target on their backs. Because not only did they win the West, now they're going to be the one seed going to the playoffs, I would assume. The way that the other teams of the West have been playing right now looks that way. Um, and now, now every team is out for revenge against them and they're going to be the number one seed. So, I mean, they, they just have a lot of things that are going to be going against them come playoff time. Other than the fact that, look, they're playing really well and they are a good team, which arguably that's the only thing you need. It doesn't matter how big the target is on your back. If you're good and you're playing well, you're going to make it far anyway. Uh, but moving on from that, the final team, the Miami Heat three and one this week, just like the Hornets, their only loss was to Atlanta uh, their win's not as impressive, though, I would argue. Wins over Toronto, Portland, and the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers, actually, one of those games that uh, were in my weekend predictions. Uh, but overall, the Heat are just playing really well. Uh, I, I, again, another team that I don't really have much to say about, other than the fact that they are just playing really, really well. Eric Spolstra should be a one of the main candidates for head coach of the year. I think if he's not on your list, then you have not watched the season because... Jimmy Butler has played, he's played a decent amount of the season, but you'd be surprised to see the proportion of games he played. He's pretty much played the same kind of uh, amount of games that LeBron has played and that he had one, one stint where he was kind of out for 10 or so games or 11 games or whatever. Uh, and then other than that, he's been, he's stayed pretty healthy the whole year. Uh, but still overall, I think that's really impressive that even though Jimmy Butler has missed 10 games and they played without him, they played well without him. And by the way, He's not the only guy on that roster. Bam Adebayo has been out for a little bit. Oladipo has barely played this year, if he's played at all, honestly. I don't even know if he's played, to be quite honest. Um, and he's out right now, for sure, because I saw him in street clothes in the, <laughs> uh, in the Lakers game. Uh, but look, the Heat are just playing really, well, really really well. Um, and I think, I don't necessarily think they're going to make the Eastern Conference Finals, but I think you could easily make the argument that this team is as good as the team that did win the East and went on to play the Lakers that year. Again, don't know if they're necessarily going to get all the way there, but uh, they look like they're the same team that was the Bucks' kryptonite two years ago in the bubble.
0: Okay, well, let's move to the most disappointing teams in the last week.
1: I will start with the Utah Jazz, who went 1-3 and this week. Uh, This is probably the worst week. Uh, I mean, I think I had the Jazz actually number one last week, or they were at least on the list, maybe number three or something like that. Uh, But... This is the worst week I think I've seen from one of the better teams in the West or the East in a while. I mean, their only win of the entire week was against the Detroit Pistons. Uh, Not a great team, if you didn't know. Uh, And their losses... They lost to the Lakers when they were on a giant losing streak. Uh, They lost to Houston, who is also not very good. Um, And they did they kept it close against the Warriors... But they also only managed 92 points. And overall, that's just not how the Jazz should be playing. I will put the I will give them the caveat that uh, Donovan Mitchell has not been playing much recently. He's been injured. However, there have been teams who have dealt very well with the players being injured. The Lakers have played almost the entire season without Anthony Davis or LeBron. Uh, there have been like maybe 10 games where they had both of them on the court. Um, and you know, they're not playing well, to be honest. That's not the greatest example. But... The Grizzlies started an 11-game winning streak with John Morant out for half the winning streak, and they also had a seven-game winning streak with him out. So there have been teams—Memphis the Memphis is the prime example. And by the way, the Jazz completely killed, them, <laughs> killed Memphis in their playoff series last year, so they're a team with higher expectations than the Grizzlies. Um, they played well without their stars, so you'd think Utah would be able to do it themselves, uh, but they just haven't so far. Uh, and right now, it's really showing that they need Donovan Mitchell to win— uh, and when they don't have them, this is kind of how they are, but that does not mean that I am any less disappointed in how terrible they're playing right now. Uh, but moving on from that, you have the New York Knicks who also went one and three this week. They, they had one win over the Clippers at the end of the week, but I still got to talk about the three game losing streak. Just when you thought the Knicks had it back together, they won three in a row They lose to Charlotte, Minnesota, and New Orleans. I mean, Minnesota is okay. They're at 500, I believe, right now. Maybe. I think they're a 7 or 8 seed uh, in the West. But New Orleans is still not great. They still don't have Zion. Uh, And Charlotte is hot this week, but the Knicks are really a team that, if they're going to make the playoffs, they're going to need to beat teams like Charlotte. And if they want to make it anywhere near where they were last year where it felt like they were in a tight series uh, in a four or five series. First of all, they're not making a four or five series the way the East is this year. It's not going to happen. Uh, but the other thing is they can't compete with any of those teams either right now. And they're definitely going to get a lower seed. You think this team is competing with the Nets or the Bucks or the Bulls right now? They're, they're just not going to. Uh, so because of that, they just need to play better against teams like Charlotte. They need to make sure that's not who they're going to be playing against. And, uh, right. Or to, to, yeah, they need to make sure that they're not playing against the cream of the crop in the East and and the way it's trending, that is who they're going to be playing. So uh, they need to figure it out. Um, and they have not done a good job of it all year long. But moving on from that, speaking of one of those top dogs in the East, disappointed in the Bulls this week. I would not put them on here because I know about Zach Levine being injured, blah, 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 blah. They played close against the Bucks, which meant that automatically, actually, I was thinking about not putting them on here. But they did one terrible thing. Their loss to Memphis is fine. Their loss to Milwaukee is fine. The win over Cleveland is actually a pretty good sign that they can still beat some kind of a team without uh, Zach Levine uh, and the other guys that are injured. But they lost to the Orlando Magic. That's all you need to know. They're not You can't escape this list if you lose to the worst team in the league. It's just not going to happen unless you went 3-1 and one and that was your only loss. Then maybe you might escape it. But they lost to Orlando. I am not going to put that team on, keep this team off the list. I don't care who's injured that is one of those games that they should circle when they're injured and say, hey, look, we're, we're, we're in a little bit of a rough patch. We got guys out. We need to figure it out. Let's get a win here because we know we're better than this team. Let's pull together, get a win here, move on to the next week, maybe carry some momentum. And then they lose to, the, to Orlando. So uh, not much to say about it. The Bulls just cannot play well, apparently, without Zach Levine, even with DeMar DeRozan scoring a career-high 41 points in this game, too. Uh, so, Or a season-high, I guess. Probably not a career-high. Uh, but overall Bulls got to play better. No, no Levine with Levine, whatever. Don't really care. They just need to be better. Um, especially because, you know, teams get injured around playoff time and you don't want to go out like the Lakers did last year, where it just seemed like as soon as someone got injured, their season was going to end. Uh, and that's what happened to them. So, uh, I I think they need to make sure they're going to avoid that. So these are some important games for them uh, and they haven't done so well so far in them. Uh, but moving on from that, the Raptors. Uh, they went 1-3 and three this week also. Probably the the, the highest uh, expectations out of the remaining 1-3 and three teams that I had to choose from, which is why I had them on here. Uh, they beat Washington. That's a good win. Their losses aren't terrible to Miami, to Dallas, to Portland. Uh, but, you know, Portland's still not a, an amazing team, and they're still very, very injured themselves. Uh, and, and just overall, the Raptors, I think they're really wasting how well Fla- Fred Van Vliet has been playing this year. Uh, so... I gotta put them on here once or twice. Uh, I think that's only fair.
0: Okay, let's uh, go to your player or players of the week this week.
1: Yes, a very a first of all time, a co-player of the week on the podcast. Uh, as I said, to, as I described it to you, the left side of my brain and the right side of my brain didn't agree this week, so I had to give it to two people. Uh, but moving on from uh, the little explanation, look, Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic this week were just too good for me to deny either of them from being on this list. Embiid averaged 40 points, 11.3 rebounds, 3.8 assists, 1.3 blocks, 57% shooting from three. That's a center. He's 7-1 and he's shooting 57% from the three-point line. Need I, Do I need to mention to anybody that Steph Curry just shot one for 13 last night against the Jazz from three, and that's the best shooter of all time? Everybody has off-night shooting. But for a center to be shooting 57% from three when he's shooting this volume of shots is just ridiculous. There's no other way to put it. Um, And that's why Joel Embiid is so good. And by the way, his worst game of the week, I mean, he's lucky that, or he's unlucky that we start counting the weeks from the Monday, from today until next Sunday, uh, because his worst game of the week was last Monday where he had 32, eight and one. If you exclude that game, it looks a lot better because the rest of the games, he had 50, 40, and 38. Uh, so a 32-point performance brought down his averages this week. Um, and, and overall, the stat line, if you look at all these games, 50, 12, 2, and 3 blocks, 40, 13, 6, and 1 block, 38, 12, 6, and 1 block. And the other thing is, that game where he scored 50 points... 27 minutes played, second least minutes of all time to score 50 points. Ridiculous game from Joel Embiid. Again, was against the Magic, but we just saw the Bulls lose to the Magic, so it's not it's not like the Magic are, uh, well, they are terrible because they are the worst team in the league, but it's not like they're just entirely pushovers and he really just played so well in that game. But I have to put Nikola Jokic on here because he had a 49-point triple-double on the same night that, <laughs> that Embiid scored 50 points in 27 minutes. Uh, and again, Different skill sets, really, for these guys. Uh, Embiid getting four assists feels like a decent week for him, whereas for Jokic, getting 10 assists seems like a normal week, which is kind of funny because he is a big man. And speaking of big men, 65% shooting, 2.3 steals for him. I'm working backwards here a little bit. 10 assists, 11.3 rebounds, 36.3 points per game this week. He averaged a 36-point triple-double. I can't exclude that from this list either. If you average, one guy averaged 40, one guy averaged a 36-point triple-double, including a 49-point triple-double. Then, uh, against Memphis, even though they lost, 26-11-12. and 12, And then, against Detroit, 34-9-8 and 8 in that win. So, uh, can't take anything away from Nikola Jokic or from Joel Embiid. Had to put both on there this week.
0: Rough couple days for the Clippers with... Uh... Two of those performances, coming, one from each player coming against the Clippers. Gave up 49 to Nikola and gave up uh, 40 to Joel Embiid. Heesh. All right, right, uh, let's uh, that wraps up our look back at the NBA from last week. Let's move on to our weekly review of NFL action this week with four fantastic games in the divisional playoff round, starting with the Bengals and the Titans. With the Bengals coming out on top of this one, 19-16.
1: Uh, the story of the game... Burrow was great. He was sacked nine times, but I mean, he never gave up. He kept playing. He kept fighting hard, and so did the rest of his team. Uh, And overall, that's what led them to the win. Um, Other than the pick, which was really—I mean, well—replay says it was a great play. Some would argue it might have been an incomplete pass. I actually sided with replay on this one. That I really did think it was a catch. Um, So that interception, I thought, should have standed. Uh, It was—it was was close though, Um, but. Overall, I mean, look, that was a great play, and that was also a drop by AP Uh, and that was really Joe Burrow's only mistake, and that's not even a mistake. Uh, maybe you could argue some of the sacks he took, took them out of field goal range, whatever, but regardless, uh, Tannehill threw away the game, literally. Uh, first play of the game, he threw an interception, uh, threw an interception after a 50-yard run in the red zone. Uh, and overall, he just kept throwing interceptions, and then with 20 seconds left in the game, he threw another interception. So he started the game with an interception, and ended the game with an interception. Um, and look, the defense held strong, their running game was good, their special teams is not a problem, which, you know, if you look at the other games this weekend, it's very clear to see. All you need is for your special teams to literally not throw away the game, and it's fine enough. I mean... You can give up 30-yard kicker turns all the time, but the real problem is when punts start getting blocked, and we'll get to that story later. Uh, But look, the Titans had every advantage in this game except for quarterback, but that's the only position that matters on the field. Although, there was one argument for the second most important position in existence. Why was Evan McPherson not the number one overall pick? I mean, come on. He could have won a lot of teams a lot of games. He had three game-winning field goals in the regular season. And then in this game, he also ended the game with a game-winning field goal. But let's talk about this. The other thing that I have to say is that going back to that whole Titans point about uh, how they dominated the game, they had eight more yards than the Bengals did on 12 less plays total. They had one less first down. Uh, They were one for eight on third down, um, though, and that was all on the quarterback. And they ran for 140 yards on 5.2 yards per carry. The only thing that they did wrong were three interceptions And a 15 of 24 performance passing for only 213 yards with one touchdown that was really just a good play by a receiver. uh, And then that interception. So overall, that's on the quarterback. I think you can't put it on anybody else. The, The one thing that you might be able to argue, going back to the McPherson point now, is that maybe if Randy Bullock had a little bit more range and maybe if the Titans had just gotten a better kicker, period, which they could have figured that out earlier in the year, uh, maybe they wouldn't have gone for it on fourth and one on I believe the 34, 35 yard line. Maybe they would have had the confidence to kick a field goal to go up by three. I believe it was with six or seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. But honestly, I would argue the way Vrabel is, if you gave him Adam Vinatieri, he still would not let him kick the field goal. He would, he would be, he would be going for it on fourth and one, especially after not getting it on third and one. That is the Titans' identity. Uh, they will die on the sword. Uh, they will die on the hill of we can get one yard in two plays. They, they would do that anytime you give them the choice. Uh, but one more thing. The key to the game, I thought, was going to be the fact that Larry Ogunjobi was not there and the t- the Bengals' interior could not hold up. 5.2 yards per rush is pretty good, but when you're talking about the Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry, it's actually not that, it's actually not that ridiculous. I mean, that is something that they're able to do a lot. Uh, there's a reason why... He missed more than half the year and was still top 10 in the league in rushing. Uh, But moving on from that, the reason why they were still good in the interior, DJ Reader. He deserves all the credit in the world. If you're going to give credit to three players in this entire game, Joe Burrow, Evan McPherson, DJ Reader. Entirely different players, all different phases of the game. One a quarterback, one a defensive tackle, one a kicker, but they were the keys to this game because the Titans tried to run up the middle. They tried to establish it early. It wasn't happening. DJ Reader would not let it happen. Six tackles, two tackles for a loss, one quarterback hit. Uh, if you look at advanced metrics, they'll probably tell you about his pressure percent, which was probably okay and probably pretty good for a defensive tackle uh, because obviously he's not supposed to, you know, get upfield. He's not exactly, I mean... Nobody's comparing DJ Reader to Aaron Donald or anything, uh, but still, they needed interior pressure and they needed to get they needed to get to the point where they had good run stopper stoppers. And I thought that Joby being out was gonna was gonna make them be lacking in that position. They weren't because of DJ Reader, uh, and that's all I could say about that game.
0: Yeah, you've uh, pretty much said the only thing I had to say about that game, which was uh, any serviceable quarterback play and the Titans win. Immediately after that game was over, I started hypothesizing about, hmm, what quarterback should leave their other team after this year to uh, join the Titans to help the Titans win a Super Bowl? Uh, and that's a nice transition to potentially Aaron Rodgers' last game with the Green Bay Packers with the Niners later that evening, upsetting the Packers 13-10 to in Green Bay. Uh, Patrick, your thoughts on this game?
1: Rodgers did not do enough to win this game. I don't know the last time he was held without a passing touchdown in a game, but it it doesn't matter when because the fact of the matter is it can't happen, period. If he's supposed to be this great, I mean, look, a lot of people have tried to put him in the echelon with Brady. You can't if he's only won one Super Bowl. I think you can only put guys who have won multiple and have proven regular season and postseason unless, I mean, unless they were stuck in a situation like the Detroit Lions or something for a long part of their career, which might be a thing with a quarterback that we'll get to later. Uh, but look, after the opening drive, the Packers only scored three points for the rest of the game, other than the drive and the two-minute drove, which I will admit, that was a very, very well orchestrated vintage Aaron Rodgers drive. And you thought that maybe if they had gotten that drive and they were up 10 to nothing at the half, this game probably could have been different. Um, but that's not what happened. And by the way, uh, the key to this game, and really, I'll get to it later, kind of the key of the weekend, special teams. The Niners blocked the field goal that Mason Crosby tried to kick to make it a 10 nothing game. It was not like the offense did anything wrong there. It's not like the defense did anything. It was the Niners' special teams that came up with the play. Uh, but overall, I still, say, I, I still say, even with the field goal, that still wouldn't have been enough. Um, and also, I, I saw it this morning, actually. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but there are graphics that people have of... Um, Using the above the field camera to find a, uh, an overhead view and do the silhouette, not the silhouettes, but just circles of players with their numbers and where they went on on plays, kind of like the Romo vision thing if you've ever watched, if you were watching the Bills Niners game yesterday. And someone posted the third and 11 where Aaron Rodgers threw it into double coverage to Devontae Adams. Alan Lazard was wide open. And when I say wide open, I mean 10 yards of separation to his left, 20 yards to the sideline to his right, and 30 yards vertically for the next defender. And he had the first down, and Aaron Rodgers did not see him, and he just forced that throw into double coverage. I actually think that what really happened, and it's odd, but I think the Niners played such bad defense on that one play specifically that it actually confused Aaron Rodgers, and he thought he had single coverage on Devontae Adams, so he immediately decided to throw deep, and the guy who was supposed to take Lazard over the middle, if he came over the middle, actually went with Devontae Adams instead, which let Lazard get open. But Rodgers never looked at it because he was just looking. He was tunnel visioned on Devontae Adams. And again, that is a Rodgers mistake. However, got to say it. Nick, not Joey, because I said Joey once last time. I got it right the first time. but got it wrong the second time. His name is not Joey Bosa. His name is Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa and the rest of the Niners D were, I mean, they figured him out after the first drive. It's It's true. Uh, the, the the Packers got short fields. They they got fumbles forced by them. They, they had plenty of opportunities to keep scoring, and they never could other than the one field goal they got and then the field goal that got blocked. They had many opportunities, and they just couldn't do anything with them, and that was really all on the Niners' defense. That was why the Packers couldn't do anything. So uh, as much as I want to blame Aaron Rodgers for the loss— Please give the Niner's defense some credit. It's not like teams don't score just out of nowhere. I mean, look, the Titans even got 16 points in that game. Even with Tannehill throwing three picks, Rodgers didn't even turn the ball over ever. It it really was just a good performance by the Niner's defense. And then big kick returns. Debo as a kick returner for that one play, even when he was feeling a little bit injured, that got a big kick return. Um, And eventually the blocked field goal on the two-minute drill... And then the blocked punt that resulted in a touchdown for the Niners, that's a 10 point swing on special teams alone. That was the phase of the game that won the game for the Niners and lost the game for the Packers. It really, I mean, I did not, I don't pay that much attention to special teams, to be quite honest, uh, because I don't watch games that intently, unless it's, you know, the Rams when it's my team. Uh, but. You could see it all the way back in the Bears game when Jakeem Grant broke like two or three giant returns, including one punt return touchdown, and I think also a kick return touchdown. The Packers just, I don't know what it is, but their special teams unit just isn't very good, Um, and it's a problem they have to fix, and they didn't have a fix for it in this game, and it cost them the game, Uh, and ironically enough, the last play of the game, we talked about this game being ended by a field goal, just like the game with uh, Evan McPherson and the Bengals, Uh, Evan McPherson with a 52-yarder to seal this one. Robbie Gould had the opportunity to kick the game-winning field goal. Do you know what the Packers did? You want to take a guess? Ten men on the field on defense. All you got to say about that week. Blocked punt, touchdown, given up. I feel like it was at least 50 yards per kick return. <laughs> it's probably more like 35 or 40, but it's still ridiculous. Uh, gave up the blocked punt, as I said. Gave up the blocked field goal. And then on the last play of the game, when maybe they could get a blocked field goal of their own, only ten guys on the field.
0: Yeah. It was a mess for the Packers all the way around. This, the special teams were a mess. Like you said, Rodgers was a mess. They looked like, the Packers looked like the team, the West Coast team, playing in cold weather that that froze and were, you know, just were incapable. As the game
1: for, went on, couldn't deal with the cold or yeah, something. Yeah,
0: incapable of performing. It was ridiculous. They...
1: Although the one thing I will say about that is that uh, they do have a running back who punishes teams in the cold because his hits hurt really hard, and he went out in the middle of the second quarter, and that's A.J. Dillon. He scored the only—actually, he is responsible for the only offensive score in the entire game, and he was out. So that's a big deal. But again, give credit to the Niners.
0: Yeah, and they didn't give up. They made the plays they had to make, make, and they probably won that game the only way they could win it with how they played. It was crazy to me that uh, everybody's interviewing— I know he's a quarterback, but everybody's interviewing Jimmy Garoppolo after the game— why not interview the guy who blocked the punt? Why uh, not interview the guy who blocked the field goal? I know it's all the quarterbacks getting all the attention, but he didn't. He was the guy being interviewed on the field after the game.
1: Come so on. two things I have to add about that that um, we didn't get to. I talked about Jordan Willis being questionable before the game and saying and pretty much brushed over it. I, I said it'd be a huge deal if Ambry Thomas is out, to be an even bigger deal if Nick Bosa is out, and kind of threw Jordan Willis's name out of there. Jordan Willis actually won the game for the Niners because he was the one who blocked the punt. Uh, he came off and blocked the punt. Uh, Hufanga was the one who scored the touchdown after every single player on the field looked around like confused. I don't know, like looking for a bird or something. Uh, but he Hufanga scored the touchdown, but Willis was the one who blocked the punt. And again, he was questionable. You never know who's going to come up big in these games. I talked about Reader filling in for Ogunjobi. Willis being in this game actually did make a big deal. I'm not saying that I mean the way the I mean the way the Packers special teams played. I honestly don't think that anybody the Niners could have put out there wouldn't have blocked the punt. Uh, but still, got to give credit for Jordan Willis for that play. Um, and just overall, yeah, you're right. The Niners played well. Uh, they could have talked to Jimmy Ward about him. I mean, he made the pass breakup. I think he rec- I think he actually recovered one of the fumbles maybe too, and he also blocked the punt. Uh, so or he blocked the field goal. Uh, so you know you could give credit to a lot of guys on the Niners uh, and. You're right. They don't, they don't necessarily interview guys not named the quarterback.
0: All right. Well, let's move to the other game in NF- NFC Divisional Play with the Rams playing at the Bucks, And once again, the visiting team comes up with a three-point win. The Rams beat the Buccaneers. Crazy game, 30-27.
1: There's a long summary for this one, so uh, stay prepared. Uh, or be prepared, I should say. The Rams jumped out to a 20-3 lead, and I'm skipping over that much of the game because the rest of the game was all that mattered. Uh, but after that, barely anything went their way. I mean, with 12 seconds left, the Rams fumbled on the one-yard line of Tampa Bay. 12 seconds left in the first half, I should add. Uh, and that was a huge, huge, huge play in this game because without the fumble from Cam Akers there, the Rams could have been up 23-3 to or 27-3 to at the half. And then they would have gotten the ball to start the second half, too, to go along with that with momentum. They lost their momentum, and all of a sudden, they punted on the first drive out, and you went, oh, God. All the all the turnovers for the Rams, they might come back to bite them eventually. They didn't because the Buccaneers ended up punting right after that. Then the Rams scored a touchdown after a 40-yard punt return set up by set up by the Rams and and carried out by Brandon Powell. Um, and then a 27-3 lead seemed easily protectable. It, it felt like everybody already knew about 28-3 and the Falcons and everything. It was like there's no way that with this pass rush. Because the one thing is the Falcons didn't really have a great defense in that Super Bowl. Uh, the Rams do. Uh, especially pass rush, too. Because they can get you with four guys. And they have good cover guys, too. Tampa Bay was held to a field goal. Uh, and at 27-6, with 30, with three minutes left in the third quarter. I mean, just listen to that score. It, it, the game's got to be over. 27-6, to with three minutes left in the third quarter. But one play later. All-bro wide receiver. All-dependable guy. Cooper Cup. I mean, well, actually, first, before Cooper Cup fumbled, the Rams started on the 40 because of a kick out of bounds. One of, I think, three in the game. If not, it was at least two. It might have been three. Uh, But by the way, special teams, again, 40-yard punt return, two kicks out of bounds for the Buccaneers. They lose the game because of special teams, possibly a little bit. Um, And then moving on from that, Cup fumbled. And Tampa Bay cashed in with an easy touchdown from, I believe, the the 20-yard line by the time the return was over. Then the Rams punted, and it looked like it was going to get really dicey. But Tom Brady held the ball for way too long, and you cannot be—I mean, he's the—I think he was the second quickest, maybe only behind Ben Roethlisberger in terms of snap to passer, a snap to pass timing this year. He was way too slow holding the ball, knowing that he was facing the Rams. Von Miller strip sack, and all of a sudden, just as it looked dicey, it was like no game over. No way. It's twenty-seven to thirteen. The Rams have the ball in the 25-yard line. A field goal puts them up by 17, which is three possessions no matter how how you slice it. And because of that, not only is it going to be a three-possession game, but it was in the fourth quarter. There was not enough time for the Buccaneers to really get back in the game. And then Brian Allen just snaps the ball. And if if you read Matt Stafford's lips after Matthew Stafford's lips, he said, I didn't even have the play. And he still snapped the ball. So he snapped it. It went 25 yards back. And the Buccaneers start the ball, start with the ball on the 50-yard line. And I really thought, this is the beginning of the end for the Rams. The Buccaneers are going to come back right here. And they're going to keep going from there. Just because of momentum, not because the defense gave it up. But just because the offense is going to keep finding ways to mess this game up. But somehow, the Buccaneers completely failed. To capitalize on that opportunity. They did not get any points out of it. They turned the ball over it. They turned the ball over on downs. The Rams got it in a, into field goal range again. But Matt Gay, who was injured in the preseason, talk about special teams again, was short on a 47-yard field goal. Very, very rare, but he was injured. And the Bucks got the ball again. And Tampa Bay failed another time to capitalize on good field possession, turning it over on downs again. Then the Rams ran three times, three and outed, punted with four minutes left. And then it really felt like just because of the two turnover on downs, the one drive that the Rams had brought down to get the field goal, and then just, you know, they were wasting time on that last drive. It it just felt like the Rams had it done. Like, it it felt like it was over. And and because there were four minutes left, all they needed to do was not give up a big play touchdown. So what did the Rams do? Three plays later, they gave up a big play touchdown. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, even, uh, covering Mike Evans in one-on-one coverage, Not the greatest play call. Uh, We'll talk about one-on-one coverage later in this game. Uh, And by the way, one-on-one coverage was a key moment in pretty much every single game uh, this weekend. Uh, But that made it a seven-point game. And with an opportunity to get the clock down to 110 or 120, somewhere in that range, without getting a single first down, just by running the ball three times and not turning it over, the Rams fumbled when Cam Akers was about a yard away from getting the first down. All he needed to do was get past and Don King Sue who was coming off of his block and then just fall down. And it would have been the first down. And then by the way, if he got the first down, it would have been the two minute warning. And then it would have been kneel, kneel, kneel game over. Instead, he fumbled Tom Brady and the Bucks get the ball one more time. I mean, think about this four turnovers forced by his defense to get him back into the game. He did not do enough to get his team back into the game and win the game. It was all that defense giving him... I mean, he had short field after short field after short field after short field. He had five or six opportunities from beyond their own 40-yard line, and they only scored two touchdowns off of it. If they were able to capitalize more on it, I mean, they would have won this game, and they probably should have won this game. Uh, But again, they got the ball. They tied it up at 27 with 42 seconds left. But apparently that was too much time, even after the Rams decided that Matt Stafford was uh, had become Kyler Murray, and he could run a quarterback draw, or maybe Dak Prescott, uh, and he could run a quarterback draw up the middle with only one timeout left. Uh, at least the Rams had a timeout, though. Um, and the Rams called the timeout with 35 seconds left after getting a negative one-yard quarterback draw. Don't ask me what the play was. I can't really explain it to you, just like I can't explain the Cowboys' play. Uh, but the Rams had to waste their final timeout, and then it really seemed like this game was going to overtime. The Rams got just when they needed it, Cooper Cup for 20 yards to get to the 44-yard line, and then the Bucks drew up a zero blitz where the free runner on the blitz did not run 44 yards over the top. Rest is history. Cooper Cup mit with the catch uh, with about 20 seconds left. Stafford told everybody on the line, "Go, go, go! Get down there." Rams got the spike. Matt Gay kicked the field goal because it wasn't 47 yards this time. It was only about I think it was only a 30-yard field goal or a 32-yard field goal, something like that. It wasn't very it wasn't very long. Um, after the spike, got it, kicked the field goal, won the game, but let's talk about the quarterbacks. Uh, Matt Stafford outplayed Tom Brady. It's simple as that. He commanded the Rams to this win. The Rams turned the ball over four times. Not a single one of them were accounted for by Matt Stafford. So we thought that maybe Matthew Stafford turning the ball over would be a key moment in the Rams losing a playoff game. It was actually everybody else on the team screwing up the game, really. Um, and when you look at it, 28 of 38, 366 yards passing and two touchdowns. Brady in the first half was 10 of 22 with an interception, and I believe only 120 or 150 yards. In the second half, he might have had a lot of yards, but he had what I call Dak syndrome, which is where you complete a decent amount of passes, get a lot of yards because you're losing by a lot, uh, but still end up with a minimal impact. 30 of 54 in the game, only barely over 50% completion with only one touchdown on that big play and the interception, and also the fumble that he took, which was really his fault because his line gave him enough time to throw in that play, and he just held the ball for too long. Uh, Stafford outplayed Brady. The one thing we thought probably wouldn't happen this postseason, probably thought that it had to be a game dominated by the Rams' defense forcing turnovers. Instead, the Rams gave the Buccaneers every opportunity they could, and the Buccaneers never cashed in, and the Rams ended up with the win.
0: Yeah, I think you and I talked after this game. Um, not Brady's best game. Congrats to Matt Stafford. I always feel good, Matthew Stafford, for a guy who's been in Detroit Lions, Purgatory. Oh yeah, I up. forgot
1: to mention that I was gonna say uh, yeah. I mean, look, you give a guy you give a guy three playoff opportunities, he doesn't win a single game. If he's playing for the Lions, you give him two opportunities, he wins two. When he's on any other team in the league,
0: yeah, feel good story of the year. I'm hoping he gets the Super Bowl, not just because you're because uh, we're in LA and, and Rams fans. Uh, but Can you win thing,
1: Comeback Player of the Year if you're just playing on the lines if, the year before?
0: If you came back from purgatory, maybe there's a get out of jail card. Well, be yeah, a there,
1: there's got to be. There's yeah. another. There's. A, there's got to be some uh, separate award category for sentimental that. Metal well, favorite, but uh, yeah. But as you
0: mentioned, Tom Brady uh, missing a lot of his offensive weapons partly might be his fault.
1: Who he, for picking weapons he, that don't, weapons don't normally stay on the field for a whole year?
0: It showed in this game. <laughs> it, it really. It showed. Maybe that's why he wasn't getting the ball out as quickly. Some of those guys are capable of getting open. Gronk certainly isn't. Really, only had Mike Evans uh, as a as a downfield threat. Um,
1: and the guy who won them the game against the Packers last year, but he doesn't count. Nobody cares about Scotty Miller at all. Probably, actually, honestly, Scotty Miller might be the most underrated and, and un not underutilized, but most underrated player in the league because no one ever mentions that he even exists. And I think. I mean I hear a lot more talk about Van Jefferson than I do about Scotty Miller and Scotty's a much bigger part of their offense. And by the way, he should be a Bucks playoff legend because without his catch on the Kevin King co- uh, bad coverage last year against the Packers, the Bucks don't win the Super Bowl, but moving on from that.
0: Well anyway, overall, this game was really wildly entertaining with tons of twists and turns because of a lot of mistakes, frankly. Um, this was like a crazy game because of a little bit of a, a lot of ineptitude as opposed to the final game of the weekend which was one of the craziest, best, if not the best, football game I think I've ever seen. Definitely the greatest playoff game I've ever seen, some people have said in history, and it was because of how well the game was executed. The Kansas City Chiefs miraculously defeat the Buffalo Bills in overtime, 42-36. to Patrick See if you can summarize this game.
1: Well, uh, if you thought I skipped a lot of the game with my Rams summary, I'm gonna skip even more. I skipped to the second to the last 12 seconds of the first half. I'm gonna skip to 154 left in the fourth quarter of this game because that is where all the action happened. Uh both teams thought they had this game won multiple times. The Bills took the lead 29 to 26 with 154 left on an Allen to Gabriel Davis connection, which by the way, I don't know where Stefan Diggs was in this game, but Gabriel Davis at least showed up. Uh, and a Diggs two-point conversion, that was his only contribution this game. Uh, we'll get to that later. Maybe Mahomes to Hill Mahomes to Hill connection was the answer for the Chiefs with 102 left as Tyreek Hill went 64 yards down the field uh, for a touchdown to retake the lead, 33-29. Then they the, they thought they had it because the Bills couldn't win on a field goal. They couldn't even tie on a field goal. They had to get a win off of the touchdown They scored a touchdown in six plays in 49 seconds, but with only 13 seconds left, Chiefs are down three, needing a miracle to win, but they're the Kansas City Chiefs. There's no such thing as a miracle to them. Everything just, they can do anything. They can score with one second. They can score with zero seconds. They can score with five seconds. They can score with negative 10 seconds. The next three plays, the Chiefs got a 19-yard pass to, to Tyreek Hill. By the way, this is the importance of keeping your timeouts. Uh, 19 yard pass to Tyree Kill, able to use the middle of the field. To call a timeout. Then 25 yard strike to Kelsey down the middle with three seconds left in a field goal range. Timeout. By the way, still had one timeout remaining. If the if something went wrong on the kick and if there was a penalty that would have resulted in a 10 second runoff, that is the importance of being on t- on top of everything for the whole game and keeping your timeouts. Because if they didn't have timeouts in this game like the Rams did, I don't think they would have won. If they I, I, they could not have won this game without timeouts. They needed to be able to run those routes over the middle of the field. Uh, And they did. And then Harrison Butker, after missing a 50-yard field goal earlier in the game to end the first half, made the 49-yarder—maybe that one yard made a difference—to send the game to overtime. The Chiefs marched down the field in overtime, and a great, great, great touchdown catch by Travis Kelsey sealed the game. Uh, Look, overall, neither quarterback deserved to lose. It's not even a question— but one of them had to because it is football. Mahomes' only playoff loss came after a game-sealing coin flip for the Patriots, and now his best playoff win, I would argue, other than the Super Bowl, came after a game-sealing coin flip. Uh, What do I have to say about it? I would much rather see the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs go at it like Texas A&M and LSU did in 2018, where they played a 74-72 seven overtime game where both teams scored touchdowns in every single overtime period. And the game ended on one team deciding uh, to go for two. Well, one team decided to go for one team had to go for two and the other team couldn't answer it. And that was the end of the game. Look, that's how this game should have ended. It really should have ended on one team just failing to make an extra point, get a two point conversion, whatever it happened to be. This game should not have ended without Josh Allen and the bills getting the ball one last time, but instead Because the rules are the way they are, even after 27 of 37 with 329 yards and four touchdowns and 11 carries for 68 yards, Mahomes with his 33 of 44, 378 yards, three touchdowns and seven carries for 69 yards and a touchdown are able to beat the Buffalo Bills. Uh, This game probably, by the way, the Chiefs did propose the rule change um, or or wanted to propose the rule change after they lost the Patriots and all the other owners uh, denied it. I will say that there are probably two owners right now that would probably accept that rule change, the Chiefs and the Bills at this point. I don't know about the other 30. The Patriots probably still won't budge because they're stingy like that. But look, Gabe Davis, eight receptions for 201 yards and four touchdowns. Travis Kelsey had, I think, seven or eight catches and the game-winning touchdown. Tyree Kill had 11 catches for 150 yards and a touchdown. And Stefan Diggs, the biggest star, the only star in this game that did not do anything. Three receptions for seven yards on six targets. Uh, When they needed him most, Gabe Davis was the one who showed up in this game. Uh, And again, I'm not going to fault Stefan Diggs for it because look, Josh Allen was throwing to the guys who he had open. And by the way, if you look at the Bills this season, Allen probably could have played a year with no interceptions if he didn't force the ball to, to whoever the intended target on every play was over and over and over again. All he needed to do was find the open guy all year he did it the entire playoff run, and this game was the perfect example of that. And that is why he ended the game with no interceptions and with four touchdowns and why they almost won this game.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> this game was crazy. You picked it up in the final, you know, minute, la- inside of two minutes.
1: It was um, exciting, even if the last two minutes didn't happen.
0: It was crazy, but but the funny thing is I remember a couple comments, one that, that we made, uh, where... When the Chiefs scored their touchdown with about a minute left, we looked at each other and said, oops, they left too much time for Buffalo. Actually, good thing they left that much time because that was they were able to then get the ball back uh, for that miraculous drive. Uh, second thing, I loved Andy Reid's quote, um, what he said to Pat, Patrick Mahomes before he went on the field with 13 seconds left. When things look grim, be the Grim Reaper. Uh, and then finally, some controver- talk about some controversial strategies that could have been employed uh, at the end of the game by the by, the, uh, by the the Bills. The one that people, you know, take a penalty, 5 yard penalty, run six seconds off the clock. Even if you do it again on the next play, they got to throw a Hail Mary because there's one on time down. But the biggest one that people aren't talking about is make the guy return the kick. Squib it. Squib it. No, well, no,
1: no, no, no. If you're saying people didn't talk about it, it was the first question McDermott was asked in his oh, post-game press conference. I, yeah, I, someone I, asked why didn't he squib it, and he said, I would rather talk, I think he said something like, I would rather talk about execution than talk about... The play calls that but ended up happening. It wasn't happening.
0: yardage that mattered. You gave you you, it was gave, the time. you gave twenty time. free yards and no time. It was, it was off the, the clock. time. So probably or at that, least
1: pooch it to the one yard line. Yeah,
0: that's that's the ease that to me that that's what people were saying. They should have pooched it, make the guy return it, you know, take those yards. I like the hey, just commit pass interference on the play and let the clock run out, let him heave a hail mary. But your thoughts?
1: Um, that the reason why I, I needed to interrupt you there is because it, it, it has worked in the past, and actually John Harbaugh employed it a few years ago where. On a punt, all the Ravens needed to do was get off a punt, and they were on their own 25-yard line, and they didn't want to cause any screw-ups with the punt, and there was a one-point game, so they would have lost on a safety. So every single man just completely tackled their blocker, or the guy who was rushing the punt. They just tackled everybody. They accepted the holding penalty, and then they put the offense out there and just threw the ball out of bounds on fourth down, and there was no time left because there was one untimed down left, and that was the end of the game. The Bills could have done the defensive version of that, by just tackling all the Chiefs receivers. The only problem is, Tyreek Hill is one of those receivers, and if he somehow got past the first guy, they might have lost the game right in regulation. You <laughs> tackle Yeah, it, it could have gotten a little bit dicey if they tried that, which honestly, that might have been part of the strategy. I don't know, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it was, it was the best game play. of all time. It was it the best, was the best, game, best of game, game of all time. time. And <laughs> by the way, after a terrible, terrible wildcard weekend, where two games were close, and, and we're calling a close game... A seven-year, a seven-point game. Every single game this weekend was won on the last play yeah. of the game. It
0: seems like the games got better and better and better. I would say actually, Bengals Titans was better. They're all won on the last play of the game. Bengals Titans was a better game than the Niners Packers. Niners Packers kind of a boring close. It game. was a really
1: boring close game. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh,
0: what a fabulous weekend! Um, so that sets us up for the uh, NFC and AFC championship game next week. Games next weekend with the Bengals visiting the Chiefs and the 49ers visiting the Rams. Uh, We will be talking about that on our next podcast because that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. The next podcast will be on Friday, January 28th, where we will have an in-depth preview of those NFL Conference Championship games and our weekly in-depth analysis of college basketball action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his latest NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which was posted on Saturday, uh, and his next bracket, which we posted tomorrow. All that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.